With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George, welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Good morning. Trudy Clausen here this morning. And I, you know, I mean, I'm making a comment on the weather every time. And so today we have no hopes. We have 18 degrees and possibly rain. So uh, I, I was looking forward to the weather for the BC Games and it looks like it might actually be nice. But then... <laughs> the way the weather's been going, we'll probably be disappointed. So that's my very positive opening this morning. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I'm very pleased to have as my guest this morning, uh, Superintendent Sean Wright of the local RCMP. Welcome. Uh, thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you for coming in. Um, yeah, so maybe just let's begin with um, who... Who is Superintendent Sean Wright, um, or maybe who are you when you're not on duty, or are you always on duty? Uh, well, it seems like I'm always on duty, but uh, no, like everybody else, I do get a little bit of downtime. So, uh, you know what, enjoy a lot of the outdoors activities Prince George has to offer, uh, you know, biking, kayaking, that sort of thing. So, uh, my wife and I moved up here about... Uh, I want to say about six years ago now, mm-hmm. and we were looking forward to kind of uh, the outdoor lifestyle and uh, easy access to some of those activities. Yeah. And you know what? It's uh, exceeded our expectations since okay. we've we've lived here, for okay. sure. So what are your favorite... You said biking, right? Biking and kayaking. Okay. So what are your favorite trails? Uh, you know what? I'm more of a road biker than okay. than trail, and uh, but we like to go up to uh, sometimes West Lake and Ena Lake and, you know, the quieter... Spots, not but you don't take your kayak on your bike. No, I do not. Okay, <laughs> so if you're going, that would be quite the adventure. But <laughs> no, I'm not quite that adventurous. No. Oh golly, that would be quite. Yeah. So, what about your favorite lakes then to go kayaking on? Uh, you know what, the smaller ones, really, without uh, motorboats, we're not too adventurous. We're not going down the river or anything yeah. like that. So, you know, what, the smaller ones like Ena Lake and that sort of thing. Yep. Uh, we find that's quite the one. Ena Lake is the one by... Just up off uh, Chief Lake Road. Off of Chief Lake Road, yeah, that's right. There. Okay. So nice and close to town, you know what? We yeah. can get there within 20 minutes, which when we lived in the Lower Mainland was uh, not even remotely a uh, possibility. So Well, and if anything was within even half an hour or an hour, there were like tons of people there, right? It does, and that meant it was only three blocks away in traffic, so yeah. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. For sure. So you moved here from the Lower Mainland. Uh, Was this sort of something like coming out here? I mean, I've heard people say that policing in Prince George is very different for the average um, officer compared to the Lower Mainland. Is that was that something that you found as well? Uh, yes, certainly, uh, uh, Lower Mainland, there's just massive resources. It's, it's a very large metropolitan area, right? So, uh, uh, whenever you respond to any type of incident, you have all kinds of services, be it, uh, police, fire, ambulance, uh, whereas uh, up here, you're a little more stretched and sometimes you have to, uh, kind of adapt to things. Uh, while it is a big city for the north, uh, we certainly don't have the resources that a large metropolitan area has. Huh. So why? So what makes it so? Like, do we? Ha- is it because we have less funding or less officers per population, or is it because we have more crime, or is it because everything takes longer to get everywhere? Uh, well, I think it's just a smaller area. So Lower Mainland, you have about two point five million people. So if you work in a city there and you have a major incident where it ties up all of your resources, uh, you'll borrow resources from the neighboring city next door. Okay. Whereas, no whereas up here in Prince George, there's there's no large neighboring city for six hours away so we kind of what we have is is what we have to deal with things oh my goodness so it's almost i mean in a way it's sort of almost military like in that way i mean in terms of just being a self-contained unit 
some way, yes. Some ways, yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay, well, I hadn't thought of that. Um, so, what about um, uh, like if you're like, do you ever work with the local, like, or local or the surrounding communities? Like, do they ever come in and help, or do you go there? Do you like is your jurisdiction only Prince George? Uh, so our detachment area actually covers uh, about 45 minutes to an hour uh, in any direction outside of uh, Prince George. So uh, most notably, we go uh, probably two-thirds of the way to McBride, which is quite a distance. Yeah. And we cover just past Hickson, so that's about 45, 50 minutes. And then toward Vanderhoof, how far? Uh, yeah, about halfway And then there. Mackenzie? Uh, yeah, we go up past uh, Bear Lake. Okay. And, yeah. Okay, oh, that's so, huge. But typically, yeah, like uh, neighboring uh, detachments, Vanderhoof, Mackenzie, Quinnell, you know, they're quite a distance, so we don't have that much interaction with them on a regular basis. Okay, all right. Okay, so um, one thing that I, well, I mean, I was telling somebody that uh, you were coming in, and the first question was, well, what can we know about the shooting that happened in the building? I mean, <laughs> so uh, can you can you speak to that? There was a, a gun discharge, an officer's gun discharged, uh, during uh, the process of putting someone in a cell is what I understand. So what uh, can you tell us more or what's what's going on with that? Uh, so the Independent Investigations Organization has asserted jurisdiction on that. There are uh, kind of the watchdog agency that investigates uh, police use of force. So uh, really it's in their ballpark to comment uh, yep. publicly on that. Uh, so I really can't provide any details beyond uh, what our initial media release was. So, yeah, we did arrest an individual, and uh, during the booking process in our cell block, there was an altercation, and oh, one of our officers did end up uh, discharging their their service pistol. Okay. So how long does something like that normally take to investigate and, and to sort of get, when when can the public expect a release on, on or results on that? Yeah, so the IAO, uh, you know what, it, it really depends how busy they are. Um, and how complex the files are uh, for the timeline. So I, I wouldn't want to speak on their behalf, but I do know that uh, this last year they've been very inundated. So I, I would uh, expect it would be at the very least many months before they issue a, a report or uh, recommend charges or whatever action they do take at the conclusion of their investigation. Okay. So is the officer that was involved, is he still, he, she still working? Yeah, they're currently on, uh, well, not right now, they're on administrative duties. That's our, okay. uh, That's uh, for, the- force, force policy is to immediately take anybody involved in any sort of uh, uh, traumatic use of force incident and put them, uh, take them off operational duties. Yeah. And then uh, we go through a whole process uh, with uh, to establish their readiness for duty again after we establish their well-being, so uh, with uh, appropriate health care providers, and then uh, we actually go through a use of force refresher and uh, go through a whole process to make sure they're uh, ready and, and prepared to come back to operational duties. So sometimes that takes a couple weeks, and uh, other times it can take many months. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'll just ask a little bit about that, because how, like over... I mean, post-traumatic stress and that whole that whole uh, uh, process of dealing with things is something that I mean, I don't know how long has have we sort of recognized. I mean, it's probably been something that we've recognized for a long time, but in terms of dealing with it for for especially for officers that are involved in a shooting incident, um, how well do you think is that going? Like, is is it actually having a difference to uh, to your service members? When, uh, when you're doing a little bit more of that kind of work after an incident? 
Yeah, I do. I, I think so. It's uh, the the processes and protocols have changed dramatically since I started in the mid '90s, uh, mm-hmm. when there virtually were none. Uh, really, over the last ten years, I think we've come leaps and bounds, and not just the RCMP, but I think a lot of similar police and first responder agencies in recognizing those those issues and treating them not just on the back end, but Im- immediately after the incident to try and prevent the longer term yes. issues. So. Uh, so what can you name something that's changed like because like you said like we're uh, dealing with it immediately that like are you finding that that's making a difference yes we have uh well for example like i was talking we have formalized processes where we immediately remove that person from operational duties which you know what 10 years ago we may have done but we actually have a formalized process now where uh and i don't want to get into great deal about it but uh with uh, healthcare providers, we ensure with that individual that they're uh, they're doing well prior mm-hmm. to bringing them back too early. And I think uh, years ago we used to bring a lot of people back too early. And uh, it also depends on the individual. For some people, it's better to get back into yes. the routine and be at work rather than yep. dwelling about it, sitting at home. And it depends on their family situation and uh, just the personality and how people react. So I think we've become a lot more in tune for. Um, Instead of just saying, hey, sit at home for two weeks and then you're, you're right. back on duty, we kind of tailor it to the individual and see how they're doing, um, like we would with uh, any other kind of uh, injury or uh, yeah. situation. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean, that's heartening to hear because I and I really I appreciate that that the process has become more individual individualized because you're right. I mean, there's so many different factors in everyone's lives and. Um, yeah, I mean, people deal with things differently, and uh, and some people do just need to get back on the horse, right? Yeah, certainly. And, and the next person uh, doesn't. So, um, I mean, the one thing that everybody says, oh, you got to ask about the homeless situation and the people on the street and the, you know, all these issues. Um, I'm sure. <laughs> so, uh, to begin with... Um, Oh, golly, where to start on that? Um, has there been any change in the last year uh, with what you've seen in terms of what you're dealing with, especially downtown? Uh, you know what? Not so much in the last year, I would say. So I've been up here nearly six years, and I've seen kind of two um, juncture points where I've seen changes. <clears throat> so the first would have been around uh, 2017, late 2017 into 2018, kind of after the fires, and we hosted a lot of evacuees. So... Uh, some people did remain here, and I don't know if it was just that time period or if it was actually a result of that large displacement, but we noticed, and in talking to a lot of people um, uh, who have businesses and uh, do business in particularly the downtown core, noticed uh, an increase in, in both that population and uh, an increase in, uh, I would say, the aggressiveness uh, of, of many of those individuals that we we didn't see previous to that. Uh, and then I want to say over the last two years, uh, when the encampment has sprung up, uh, I would say we've seen even a further evolution of um, entitlement and aggression uh, amongst a segment of that population. Certainly not all of, but uh, overall that kind of mood has, has changed from where it was five years ago. Hmm. So do you think, um, so those who are not... The, um, the 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 segment of the population that is not that you would consider that that seem to be uh, like not entitled and just basically just I, I mean for lack of a better term the friendly homeless person who is is just 
living on the streets because they really have just no place else to go. How are they managing? Yeah, well, I mean, they're just trying to survive, right? And they've, unfortunate circumstances have, mm-hmm. have led them to be there. So, uh, you know what, I, I don't have statistical data for you, but anecdotally, I would say that they, uh, and traditionally, they've always been vulnerable, so victimized at times. But I, I would say um, that they're at, at greater risk from mm-hmm. the more aggressive yeah, because of, yeah, demographic, more, yeah. for sure. And I think a lot of that is uh, obviously uh, mental health issues uh, everybody talks about. Yes. Um, and as well, I think uh, a lot of it is... Uh, uh, opioid addiction and uh, mm-hmm. methamphetamine addiction yeah. and the unpredictable and erratic behavior that we really see from that. And you know what? We don't see it to the same degree here. We do see it uh, somewhat, but I, I think the best illustration of that is it's been highlighted in on, in the Vancouver News uh, quite recently with stranger attacks. And it's the, the majority of those are just people acting erratically and uh, committing violent acts against people they've never met that they just come across in the street mm-hmm. and it's uh that's tip- that's the one that's the most scary for the average person right who's who's not living down well i mean but uh, if that absolutely because would- how do you prepare for that yeah. right um so yeah uh and it's just uh the vast majority of those are are under the influence of, of drugs and really mm-hmm. don't even have a clue what they're doing yeah i mean sort of what i was trying to get at is is that the like for the for the historically a homeless person who is just, you know, doing his best to get by, it has got to be, for them, it has also gotten more frightening then to live on the streets. Is That was sort of my my, my question. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I would certainly agree. And, uh, and that's why we see a lot of, uh, or had traditionally seen, I don't know if that's still the case now, uh, a segment of, of that population that didn't want to go into shelters and mm-hmm. preferred to camp. Um, not necessarily in an encampment, but in more isolated areas away from those people so they yeah. wouldn't have to deal with the drugs and the violence and yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, because that's something that, um, I, like, I'm, I'm from Salmon Valley and there, I mean, it's, we have, I mean, a sort of a, there's a bit of a legend that grows around a person that, um, there's somebody who's lived out there, uh, camping for years and years and years and, um, the story was that he just did not want to live downtown with those people. And so that's, so he was all on his own in the heart. And, and, uh, it's quite, it, I mean, it, it's fascinating to me because it's like, you know, these people are just so out of step with the rest of society. Like they just are not fitting in and, and they choose to live like that. And, um, yeah, that's, that's interesting. So how, how are you finding, um, I mean, you, the Moccasin Flats is going to be staying there for as, for as long as we know, and then the city just announced this new initiative. Did they vote in favor of it? I'm not quite sure if they did, where they were going to allow certain encampments or certain overnight uh, camping spots. No, they voted that down. They voted that down. Yeah. Okay, so then we're back to having just mockers and flats. I mean, can you see anything changing with the way things are right now? Uh, not in not in the short term, no. Uh, in fact, with the uh, proposed decriminalization or pending decriminalization, I guess it's not proposed anymore. The federal government has uh, has approved it, uh, which is coming into effect. I believe it's January. Um, decriminalization of hard drugs, oh. where uh, individuals can carry. I believe it's going to be two and a half grams of. Uh, heroin or fentanyl or methamphetamine. So I, I think we're actually going to see the situation get a lot worse over the next few years. So why is that? Uh, it's it Really, it's a harm reduction uh, push from the province and uh, the top health officials to uh, 
try and remove the stigma, uh, is my understanding, of drug use. Okay, but why why wouldn't that help? I mean, because, I mean, part of the argument that I can see and that I go, well, that makes sense, is that you're not running into a whole bunch of court time just for... Uh, a drug charge like what what from your perspective what's the re why is that something that you go ooh that's going to make the things worse yeah see i think one of the uh, big misconceptions out there is that police are arresting people for small amount possession okay. and charging them uh so that's actually a very rare circumstance okay uh so typically if you're just a drug user in a very small amount we will arrest you if we find you in possession we'll seize and dispose of that uh, however, oftentimes that gives us uh, the ability to then uh, compel you to identify yourself, uh, check for outstanding warrants, um, see if you're in breach of court orders and that sort of thing. And if those persons are, we can obviously then put them through the court system, but it removes them from a situation whereas if you have someone who's accused of assault and they're out on bail... Uh, Maybe imminently that night they're going to get involved in another confrontation with somebody and assault them, whereas uh, if we found them in breach, oh. that situation could be avoided. Okay. Uh, but I, th- I think the biggest thing coming from the decriminalization is um, we're talking about violence, we're talking about homelessness, we're talking about erratic behavior. So I, I understand the harm reduction angle, but that's one pillar of uh, an approach to, to combating drug use. Um, but if you encourage more behavior and facilitate more behavior, I don't know, logically to me, you're going to get more of that behavior. Yep. So I don't see any proposal for actually ending drug addiction, preventing drug addiction. Uh, in my opinion, harm reduction should be a stopgap until you can get to treatment All and right. can get you off it. Not a long-term solution or a long-term strategy where you just subsist as a drug user wandering around. All right. Okay, it's time for a break. We'll be back talking with Sean Wright, Superintendent. There isn't much that a country singer hasn't covered in a song. If you want to hear songs about new love, lost love, drinking, fighting, cowboys, trains, traveling, and everything else, then tune into the Country Cavalcade every Wednesday, 6 to 8, where I cover music from the 20s to the 90s, as well as today's traditional independent artists. You'll hear from such greats as the Carter family, Johnny Horton, Vern Charlton, and so much more. The Country Cavalcade, Wednesday, 6 to 8, only here on 93.1 CFIS-FM with me, Corey Walker. Eat healthy and fresh at Homesteader Meats, founded by Ben and Rosella Clausen in 1982. Homesteader Meats has two premium quality meat and gluten-free products, plus Wednesday is Seniors Day at Homesteader Meats. Seniors 55 and over save 10% off regular prices. Single portions are available in most items, including pierogies and sausages, and are half-pound packages off ground beef, ground pork, stew meat, and meat pies. Everything from Erladen to Patties is at Homesteader Meats in two locations, College Heights and Park Hill Center. Ron's Hole in the Wall is now open six days a week in the Q3 Creative Business Hub. Stop by and check out his great assortment of books, magazines, DVDs, and collectibles Monday through Friday between 10 and 2. Ron's Hole in the Wall is also open during the Q3 Community Market, Saturdays from 8.30 to 2. Drop in regularly as there's always something different in store. Ron's Hole in the Wall is now open Monday through Saturday in the Q3 Creative Business Hub, downtown at the corner of Quebec and 3rd. Forecast from Environment Canada. Cloudy today with a 30% chance of showers. Wind from the southwest at 20 starting this afternoon, a high of 18. Tonight, mainly cloudy with a 40% chance of showers. Southwest winds becoming light this evening, a low of 10. Mainly cloudy on Friday with a 40% chance of showers. Wind becoming south 20 late in the morning and the risk of a thunderstorm in the afternoon, a high of 21. 
Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, Trudy Clausen back here with Superintendent Sean Wright, uh, head of the local police uh, RCMP here. And we were just talking about um, the homeless addiction uh, problem downtown and then talking about uh, legalization and the decriminalization coming in January across Canada. And um, you were just explaining how that isn't necessarily, I mean, it's going, you think it's going to be a bad thing. And because it inhibits your ability to get people off the street so that they're not committing more crimes. So, I mean, part of the push behind that is, and then you also mentioned that, like, harm reduction is just one of the four pillars of dealing. So, I mean, you're stuck in the middle because you really have no ability to impact that discourse except through talking about it to people right so what's your best case so if you're talking if you know the, our list we've got listeners who are most of them probably are voters uh what are the type of things that they need to be asking their public their elected officials or pushing uh to see in terms of um because we all care about our city we we um we we care that there are people that are living, you know, really des- many of them really desperate lives. And then on the other hand, we also care about the businesses that are being impacted daily. So what do you, how can people best advocate for change so that, you know, we can deal with this in a better way? Sorry, that's yeah, a long you, question. No, you know what, uh, I'm just thinking because I don't want to advocate a particular kind of political <laughs> viewpoint. That's right, that's right. Because um, that's not my place to publicly do so. But uh, I think to be... Um, uh, best informed on on the issue and not just uh, kind of what people are feeding you, but actually reading uh, previous studies and articles on uh, drug treatment and the four pillars and that uh, harm reduction is a portion of that. I think important questions are, oh, where is the rest of it? So where's the prevention? Where's the treatment? I hear a lot of talk about, oh, and we'll expand treatment, we'll expand treatment. So okay, but I don't see it. And what's the method of streaming people into treatment? Because I also hear a lot nowadays that, well, if people don't want to go, well, I guess that's a life choice they've made. And I'm thinking, well, the problem, no, this affects society This affects as you. Well. I mean, and the reason I'm asking you to maybe give some guidance is because I, you're constantly being, uh, um, I'm trying to think of a radio-friendly word. People are always complaining, oh, the cops aren't doing their job. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to city council and you're asking for money. You don't get more money. You ask, I'm sure you're asking your, um, do you get any funding from the federal government? Uh, so 10% of our funding 10, comes okay. from the federal government, 90% from the municipality. From the municipality. Okay. So, I mean, basically you have this limited budget. You have limited amount of people. You've got, you know, all of the expenses and everything. And you're, I mean, well, sorry. Now I'm going to digress into a personal beef of mine because I, I remember one of the first city council meetings I was at a few years ago, you had spent a lot of time talking about all the different huge mega problems that were on the streets and like talking about horrible things like child sex trafficking. And then all that everybody wanted to know, like the city councillors wanted to know, are you going to come monitor the, the speeding on the streets where I live? And it's like, um Golly, I think we just missed something. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's funny you mention that. So everywhere I've worked over the last 20, 26 years, whenever you do kind of uh, uh, public consultation, uh, things like that always come up. And it's like people are speeding in the school zone where I drop my, my child off. And you know what? You find um, there's these big kind of uh, uh, amorphous issues out there like uh, – 
drug dealing and um, robberies and break and enters at businesses. But you know what? Uh, people really focus at the end of the day on the, the things that affect their microcosm of their life. And every, that's what's that important to them. And they deal with it every single yes. day. So there might be something very terrible out there, but they're not really dealing with it. So kind of what are you doing about this issue here? So it's it's human nature for sure. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think maybe that's part of the reason that the downtown businesses are so frustrated because they actually do deal with that every day, right? Because they are every day coming into their business and dealing with whatever it is there, whereas the, their customers aren't coming in every day, right, for the most part. Um, so, I mean, there you have a bit of, you know, this is one of the problems with democracy. There's fewer... <laughs> There's fewer business owners than there are customers, and the business owners are the ones that deal with this every day. But let's go back to the the other aspects of um, of har- of dealing with addictions, because there's there's harm reduction, which you've already talked about that they're trying to do, and that's what their goal is with the decriminalization. Um, so, what are the other pillars? It's uh, so prevention, harm reduction, enforcement, and treatment. Okay. Um, okay, let's go with uh, enforcement. Enforcement is the that's where you guys mostly would come in, right? Yes, certainly. Yep. Yeah. So one thing that intrigued me a number, of, I think it was at that same city council meeting, uh, you began talking about the data map that you have, and this is one thing that I'm always telling people is um, uh, if there's petty, if you have somebody breaks in or there's petty crime, report it, and be, and because people always complain, well, there's no officer that comes to visit or to come check it out. And I mean, am I correct in that? And because the, the data map helps you figure out where crime is happening. Can you talk a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. Like you pointed out earlier, we have uh, limited resources. We can't be everywhere. We can't prevent everything. So uh, if we don't know that uh, incidents are happening in a neighborhood, we're not going to deploy extra resources there. Whereas if we know uh, in that particular neighborhood there's been uh, theft from vehicles overnight eight times over the last week, we're going to be much more inclined when we have time at three in the morning to have our officers be in that area looking for suspicious persons. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know what? You may not get... uh, anything more than a phone call or there may not even be attendance if it's a very minor incident but uh, that information certainly helps us feed uh, the intelligence machine we use so the address goes into this data map and then you can look at where like you said and then and send officers when you've got time like yeah, we, we have a full-time crime analyst who uh, every two weeks we get an updated uh, crime trends uh, uh, map and uh, kind of some direction as to where we should be deploying our resources to be most effective. So, And actually, uh, I know a lot of people, uh, like myself, uh, hate sitting on hold and having to talk to somebody and explain all that. So we do have online reporting now. So if it's just okay. a, a simple theft or something that really wouldn't require an officer to attend and, and follow just... up, you can go to, if, if you Google the Prince George RCMP website, uh-huh. uh, right on the front page on our homepage there, there's online uh, crime reporting. So... Uh, if someone's taken rifled through your car and taken some change or something, uh, please please report it on there. You can do it at your leisure when you've got a little bit of downtime that day, and oh. uh, we'll get the statistics, and you can kind of do it at your convenience. Oh. So uh, clearly not intended for things that are in progress or any sort of yeah. violent crime or anything, yeah. but for, for minor property crime or property damage, that would be uh, oh. ideal. So how long has that system been around? Uh, I want to say it's been about a year and a half since okay. we launched it, and... and- uh, we probably need to do a better job of getting the message out there, but uh, it has been picking up the number of people that have been using it for sure. Okay, and so just before the break, if you can give me a quick answer, um, 
has, has have you seen it make a difference on where you're putting your resources? Yeah, uh, absolutely. All all of those reports help us uh, um, definitely target them. And the biggest one I want to say is kind of uh, theft from from vehicles overnight. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. It is time for for a break. We'll be back after this with Superintendent Sean Wright. Theatre Northwest has done a full reboot of their summer sewing camps. Included this year is a project-based camp to teach students how to upcycle clothing, make a men's dress shirt into a summer dress, update t-shirts and jeans, and make a memory pillow from old clothing. Registration and full details are available through the tickets link at theaternorthwest.com. Summer sewing camps are on through the end of July at Theatre Northwest in the Park Hill Centre. Sign up today through the tickets link at theaternorthwest.com. Supply chain issues and labor shortages have delayed the grand reopening of the Exploration Place Museum and Science Centre. The Exploration Place has been closed for the past 26 months due to COVID-19. The subsequent renovation was to be completed with a grand reopening on June 18th. Now, the yet-to-be-determined date will be this fall. Meanwhile, the Little Prince steam engine will kick off another season on June 18th for another season of rides at Clayton to name Memorial Park near the Exploration Place. Prince George men now have their very own men's shed, open Saturdays from 9 to 2 at 2816 Norwood. All men are welcome to stop by for coffee, camaraderie, and carpentry. Learn more about men's sheds through the website mensheds.ca. For more information about the Prince George men's shed, call Craig at 250-565-7569. The Prince George men's shed, now open from 9 to noon, Saturdays at 2816 Norwood. The Spruce Capital Senior Center is up and running with activities Monday through Thursday. Take part in cribbage and Tai Chi on Mondays, Canasta Tuesdays and Thursdays, and TOPS or Bingo each Wednesday. For more information, call the Spruce Capital Seniors at 250-563-6450 or stop by between 10 and 2 Monday through Thursday. Stay active with the Spruce Capital Senior Center across from Rainbow Park at the corner of Rainbow and Liard. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, Trudy Clausen back here with Superintendent Sean Wright. Um, so we've just been talking about uh, enforcement and about the data map and, and how that helps. So just that's just an encouragement for the listeners out here. If you have petty crime that happens or if somebody steals change out of your car, do report that because it is useful uh, to help find uh, those folks. Now, one other thing that uh, I remember from this was a more recent um, city council meeting where you were presenting. There was a question about um, what was the like, OK, so if someone gets charged and then the charges get thrown out because of whatever, like and that there was maybe a disconnect between what you're trying to do and what is it Crown Council? Yes. tries to do so how do you deal with that kind of issue like and and do you do you see a way to improve that uh, so that people can have a little bit more confidence that things are being dealt with in through the courts yeah so i think it's it is in all fairness important to, to point out that both crown council and police are separate entities and we do have separate functions so we we view things from different perspectives so we're not always going to agree for yeah. so um but yeah, it is very frustrating on our end when we put a lot of work in. We've caught somebody uh, in the commission of a crime and we've put it forward and for whatever reason, sometimes justified and sometimes in our eyes not justified, but that's from our perspective. Uh, charges are then not approved or, or stayed. So um, yeah, it, it's a difficult relationship. And uh, you know what, at the senior levels, we try and uh, 
have meetings and resolve resolve those conflicts. I, I do think um, we may see a little bit of progress here. Uh, about two months ago, uh, here uh, Mayor Hall and uh, the other uh, urban mayors caucus uh, mayors spoke with the provincial government, and they committed to a 90-day review or study, I should say, of uh, prolific offenders and. Uh, Random right, violent yes. attacks. So yeah. I believe we're probably about 45 or 60 days into that review period. So hopefully, and I know the, the two consultants, uh, doing that review have to, uh, spoken to a lot of stakeholders, including Crown Council, police, other community groups. So I, I'm hoping a holistic picture comes out of that with uh, some solutions on how we can all be more on the same page. Hmm. And, and is part of the problem resources? Like in terms of money, like that, that local crown council, like the local court system just doesn't have the capacity to deal with the amount of problems that we have here. Uh, I think with any government agency that resources is, is always an issue. So, yeah. uh, yeah, there is a, a limited amount of court time. There's a limited amount of, uh, crown lawyers to prosecute files. Uh, just in the same manner, there's a limited number of police to respond well, yeah, to I calls was thinking, and process like, files. And we have to use our discretion on what oh. we, what we, get to in a timely manner and what we, we but, push forward as well. But I mean, in the end, that's sort of a bit of a bottleneck because here you are, you're trying to manage wisely your limited resources because, I mean, if for nothing else, it you know, you want to have a ship that's sailing well, mm-hmm. like the organization. And when half, I mean, whatever the number percentages of time that you're having a significant amount of uh, officers work on a case and then it gets not, you know, the crown, the charges get stayed or not accepted. And it's like, oh, my. Yeah. No, it's very frustrating. And I think uh, that really helps me feel or uh, understand the frustration of the public sometimes and i often say that to some of our young officers that when they're really frustrated with crown council and uh they're in their first few years and they're, they're like i put all this work in and it yeah. just gets shut down like what's the point point? and i said well it's kind of like we're crown council's public so they can only go to so many things they have to prioritize too so it's just like when you tell a complainant they when they called two hours ago and it took you two hours to get there (laughs) because there was a property crime but you were tied up with someone who's being assaulted you had to prioritize and unfortunately there's just limited resources so uh when we're on the receiving end of that we need to kind of keep that perspective as well all right okay um okay so i know that in terms of uh Addictions, like we've talked about, uh, harm, the lack of or well harm reduction enforcement. But we like I'll leave prevention and treatment. I mean that's really not in your purview. I'm guessing un- unless you're, we're talking about grooming, you know, people into various um, industries. But uh, so let's move on from there. And just because you had mentioned your young officers and and um, and just their motivation or their. Um, Morale. Um, what has it been like? I mean, we've gone uh, in 2020, we had a massive defund the police movement happening in the U.S. And of course, some of that also here. Uh, where Where's morale at and, and how is recruitment? I mean, it used to be the little small children dreamed of being an RCMP officer. How's that going? Yeah, so uh, I'll kind of touch those two points a little separately. So first of all, yeah, you're right. The protests 2020 uh, in the States, huge, huge issue. Trickle-down effect here in Canada, as there always is from the States. So, yeah, we, we felt that it was uh, pretty disheartening. Morale was pretty low. Although I, I do have to to say we did receive a fair bit of support from the local community here. And I think Prince George is, is pretty supportive of the police here uh, compared to other communities I've lived in. So um, it's 
you know what? For a city of 80,000 people, it still has that small town community feel. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so that we're I, like the, we're all in this together sort of thing. Yeah. So I, I do feel that support on a regular basis. Um, so yeah, uh, that, that did affect morale, but, uh, overall, I think we're, we, we do see the support of the community here, uh, with regards to recruitment and that sort of thing. Yeah, you're right. That has, has changed. And I think that's, uh, yeah, first of all, that was a generational thing that, uh, a lot of these younger people, uh, any type of first responder job just doesn't seem to be as attractive to them. So if that's police, fire, ambulance, uh, for whatever reason, that just, they don't grow up necessarily dreaming of that like we may have many, many years ago. Uh, and I think that's just a gener- generational uh, social shift. So uh, all police agencies are having uh, great difficulty recruiting now. And I think for the RCMP, it's especially hard because um, you're expected to be mobile, go anywhere in Canada, uh, perhaps work in very remote places. So uh, while there is a, a lot of advantages to our organization and op- a wide variety of opportunities, there's also some hardships that come with it. So... Uh, yeah, re- recruiting is going to be a, a monster issue uh, for us and other police forces moving forward over the next few years. How, what's the uh, retirement rate like for in town? Or but Prince George has a fairly young establishment or constabulary. Doesn't yeah, it? O- overall, uh, the officers in Prince George are fairly young in their service. Um, but then they also but, might want to move away, right? True, they they don't stay here full twenty five or, or yep. thirty years. Some do, uh, yep. a few do, but uh, but most are probably here on average. I would say about five or six years. Okay, all right. Uh, we will take a break here and talking with Superintendent Sean Wright. Shooting Stars Theatre is bringing Shakespeare back to Prince George by presenting the classic comedies As You Like It and The Taming of the Shrew July 26th to 29th at Theatre Northwest. Directed by Melissa Glover, tickets for this great family entertainment are $10 each and available from theaternorthwest.com. As You Like It and The Taming of the Shrew, 7.30 July 26th to 29th at Theatre Northwest in the Park Hill Centre. Every day is a great day to discover downtown Prince George, and this summer there's some new energy on downtown Summerfest Saturdays. Every Saturday from 8.30 to 2, check out the 3rd Avenue markets, the Q3, Wilson Square, and Prince George Farmers. Plus, this Saturday, enjoy live music at the Wood Innovation Square from 11 to 3, and look for downtown Summerfest Saturday specials at your favorite restaurant or cafe. Eat downtown with this week's downtown Summerfest Saturday. The Alzheimer's Society of BC is continuing in-person education with accessing services Wednesday, July 20th at the library. Learn about community supports like home care and adult day programs, as well as how to address challenges and work with health care providers. To register, call the First Link Dementia Helpline at 1-800-936-6033. Accessing services Wednesday, July 20th from 1 to 2.30 at the library from the Alzheimer's Society of BC. Forecast from Environment Canada. Cloudy today with a 30% chance of showers. Winds from the southwest at 20 starting this afternoon, a high of 18. Tonight, mainly cloudy with a 40% chance chance of showers. Southwest winds becoming light this evening, a low of 10. Mainly cloudy on Friday with a 40% chance of showers. Wind becoming south 20 late in the morning and the risk of a thunderstorm in the afternoon, a high of 21. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, Trudy here back with Superintendent Sean Wright. Uh, we were just talking about recruitment and um, maybe if we could t- just talk a little bit more about that. Um, what are... Like, uh, do you are you involved in recruitment at all? Like at your level? 
not not extensively. So we do have a unit that's dedicated to that, but uh, we do also push to basically all of our membership. Like I think any good agency does, that if you know people who are suitable or you're talking to somebody that's yeah. interested, hey, point them in the right direction and give them the contact info and yeah. Okay, so um, for someone like, and as you were talking about trends and, and thinking about back to when we were young and and you know that dream of being uh, a first responder. I mean, I see a lot of young people now wanting to go into social work, but then what I also see is a lot of young people have their social work degree and then they they burn out after a few years. So, do you see that in in the police force, like where young people are coming in and going, "Whoa, this is way different than I expected." You know what? Over the last few years, a lot more so. Um, but I think a lot of that has been generational too. So. Um Way back when, I won't date myself, but uh, the expectation was generally you get into a career, you're going to be there 30-ish years, maybe more, and then yep. you're going to retire and but, I mean, get, you go have... fishing. So a lot of these young people will go into a job and after five years, they're like, ah, you know what, I don't really like this anymore. I'm going to go oh. do this instead. Uh, so we do. We have people that come for three or five years and go, you know what, I didn't mind this, but yeah, I don't think I huh. want to do this for 30 years and, and move on to something else. So yeah, it is. It's a little... That's that's interesting because, I mean, there's so many people lamenting the fact that we don't have, like that most careers are just temporary and that you have to count on having to change your, you know, your your uh, profession three or four times, five times throughout your life. But here's one where you could actually spend your whole entire life in and people are still choosing to leave. Wow, that's interesting. So maybe it's not, you know, maybe it's just... I mean, we we all together sort of respond to various forces, and and that's interesting to me. So, um, who are the new people that you've got coming in? Like, when you've got like what what are sort of their commonalities that you see? Like, or are there any? Uh, you know, I'd say it's a very very diverse okay group, really all over the spectrum, and uh, particularly uh, because we're a national police force, so mm-hmm. we get people from maybe Newfoundland and the Northwest Territories and the Lower Mainland. So it's. Yeah, it's really a very, very much a, a mishmash of, so of you, backgrounds and so quite a, interesting. Okay, so if a person wants to see a little slice of Canada, really, you should just come to... Do you guys ever have social events where the public can come? Uh, we haven't for some time for, because <laughs> of COVID and that sort of thing. Yes, but yeah, of course. C- certainly uh, in, the, in the future, I think we'll end up having kind of an open house thing. Yeah. Uh, just to touch base with the, the public and, yeah. and kind of uh, get that exposure. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, we get a lot of people... Um, who are kind of on a second career? Maybe they've done a trade for a few years, and they've. There are some some people for certain who've always dreamed of being a police officer and that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. it just took. Uh, you know what they had? Uh, they needed to get a job immediately and pay some bills, and now they've been accepted. So, uh, yeah, we get a, a lot of people who are on their second career actually. Oh, okay, that's interesting. And well, and actually, I, I know a few people who've done that. Um, so that that makes sense to me. Um, Okay, so what what would you what um no let's let's go with BC Games uh, and let's okay community events like what is your role in when things are happening downtown because this is something I've always wondered maybe my listeners haven't but it's like okay where did like and sometimes you'll see the the police assisting with with either parades or things like what is your role there and how do you how does that work like. 
Yeah, so typically primary police role is public safety. So okay. uh, a big part of that for large gatherings, particularly like let's say the downtown core, would be traffic safety. So uh, sometimes we'll assist with uh, parades and blocking traffic and that sort of thing. But anytime you get a, a large crowd of uh, many hundred or thousands of people together, you know what, there's potential for some sort of conflict within that. So uh, typically with large events, we'll just have a presence to... Uh, to, to be on site if if something does occur, even regardless of the fact that the the event is typically uh, good natured, uh, and then there is just uh, you know what uh, public relations and uh, building relationships with the community, and we are part of the community and try trying to be uh, uh, well in tune with community needs, so we need to get out there and talk to people. So uh, and Canada Day, for example, you know what a very well natured event, but I think we had four officers there for the bulk of the day. For hey, you know what there's a large crowd, but plus just interacting with the people and kind of uh, uh, letting people see who we are and kind of gauging the mood of the community and seeing what their priorities are. So mm-hmm. uh, talking about the the BC Games, kind of getting back to uh, uh, recruiting a little bit, we are our recruiting unit is going to be out at some of the venues. So if there's okay. any, uh, any teenage athletes that are uh, contemplating a career, they can certainly talk to them. And when they're done high school, have a look at us. Okay. All right. Well, that sounds that sounds good. And uh, uh, how are uh, I mean, in terms of pay and because um, our local, like the RCMP, this the officers are that's a union, right? So is that sort of keeping up with inflation? I mean, golly, I mean, I know that your discussions recently. <laughs> I mean, so I guess the union negotiates that, and then you guys have to you your job is to try to manage that within um, within the budget that you get, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. All right. Um so uh, one one um one how how is um uh, oh, commercial crime. I wanted to ask you that. That's sorry. I was and it's like because I, we were the victim of of commercial crime. There used to be a commercial crime unit or the E division, right? Yep. Is that still up and running? Yes, absolutely. Oh, okay. Yep. Okay, and what are the kinds of things they're dealing with these days? Uh, you know what, I... Or is that not your department? Uh, no, the RCMP has, okay. has that. That, that yeah. is a division of the RCMP, but they, they focus on, uh, I would say, very large-scale um, frauds and that sort of thing. And I, by large-scale, I mean probably many, several million dollars now mm-hmm. is probably... and. The reason they only focus on those large ones is, again, they only have limited resources. And uh, unfortunately, there are so many frauds and scams and uh, that sort of crime that uh, really we can only focus on so many. Right. So what is a typical thing that they're dealing with? with these days like like when like commercial crime like for the average person it doesn't mean a whole lot like what is what is it actually like what uh like if you can give me an example like a Uh, generic one or be very large-scale frauds uh perhaps uh uh, just a generic example would be a business that uh, would be defrauded by uh perhaps fraudulent communications uh from a person representing themselves as a vendor uh, and submitting invoices to a changed billing address and then obtaining several hundred thousand or millions of dollars over several months, uh. that sort of thing. And then those are extremely labor-intensive, trying to track where money goes electronically through accounts. and Right. Uh, are those kinds of things done by the individual, or is that more uh, like a gang-related crime? That's more uh, typically an organized group. Organized you, you have crime. to have some knowledge of how to... How to, to do route this. things around and try try and stay hidden. So I, I think uh, the more predominant uh, kind of uh, 
fraud or that sort of offense is, you know, what the phishing emails people get mm-hmm. saying, yeah. or, or the, well, one everybody knows is when the annoying phone calls come and it's supposedly the CRA, but they want payment in iTunes gift cards for yeah. some reason. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, then those types of things we handle at a, at a local level here. Right. That's not E-Division stuff. No, that would be, uh, it's, lower it's, dollar value would be local here. Okay. All right. Well, it's time for our break and we'll come back with our last segment with Superintendent Sean Wright. The B.C. Summer Games are July 21st to 24th in Prince George, and close to 3,000 volunteers are needed as we host athletes from across the province. There are many different positions available, requiring a variety of skills and or physical strength. Registration and more details are available at bcgames.org slash volunteers, or stop by the Summer Games tent at Canadian Tire between 10 and 4 through Friday. The B.C. Summer Games, July 21st to 24th, right here in Prince George. Parent Support Services Virtual Summer Camps are back. Camps are interactive, free, and can be attended from the comfort of home. Camps include an exploration of nature and marine life, a Zumba dance party, and a storytelling craft session. Parent Support Services Virtual Summer Camps, July 26th to July 28th, and August 23rd to 25th via Zoom. Registration and full details are available through the events link under services at parentsupport.ca. The Community Radio Fund of Canada is seeking nominations for positions on its board of directors. By becoming a part of the CRFC, you can help strengthen local broadcasters in the Canadian media landscape. Candidates are needed with general experience in financial administration, broadcasting, legal issues, and knowledge of CRTC and Industry Canada broadcast regulations. Full details are available at crfc-fcrc.ca slash en slash 2850. Applications will be accepted through September 30th. Minds in Motion is a fitness and social program provided for people experiencing early symptoms of dementia and their care partners. Each fitness session is followed by social time, an opportunity to connect with others living with dementia. An in-person series is available in Prince George on Tuesdays through September 6 at the YMCA. To register or for more information, contact the Prince George Resource Centre at 250-564-7533 or email info.princegeorge at alzheimersbc.org. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Trudy Clausen here with Superintendent Sean Wright, head of the RCMP here locally. Um, so probably let's, let's talk about the last, uh, we've got about eight minutes left. Um, what's the two things that I want to talk about is like, and just get some of your thoughts on what's most worrying for you and what are hopeful glimmers. So maybe if you want to mash those two together, but like if you're looking at Prince George in the next 10 years, um, or, or policing in general, um, what are most worrying for you? Uh, things that you're seeing maybe people edge towards, like, and, and I, like the voting public and, 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 you know, who we vote for has an impact on, on you guys because, I mean, that's where you get your funding from. So what's most worrying for you there? Yeah. So I would say definitely within policing in the province of British Columbia. So, um, my personal opinion, I think, is probably similar to a lot of members of the public. And it's, uh, you know what, the revolving door of the the legal justice system. So uh, there's been legislative changes at the federal and provincial level that uh, really um, work against holding any offenders in custody, especially prior to trial. And 
Uh, I think with the decriminalization of hard right. drugs yes. in this province, yeah. that's just going to uh, add fuel to that fire, and we're going to see these same uh, prolific offenders cycle cycle through the system on an ongoing basis with no real uh, consequence. So I know a lot of people say, okay, well, jail doesn't deter people when they come out. They might do it again. They don't learn a lesson and say, oh, my God, I'm reformed. Uh, typically, I would agree, but if we... Uh, do um, apprehend somebody for a crime, let's say it's a break and enter to a business and uh, we get them charged and they're convicted and they do, let's say, two or three months in jail. Well, they're not committing other <laughs> commercial break and it's a bit of a cynical uh, viewpoint, but uh, you know what? We look at statistics when we look at our crime rates and everything. And so if that offender who goes out and does that almost every night is in jail for two months, well, there's maybe 30, 40 break and enters we're not going to experience as a community, right? The large proportion of crime is uh, probably 90% of crime is perpetuated by about 10% of offenders. So right. Okay. So can you repeat that again? Yeah. Uh, anecdotally, about 90% of crime is is perpetuated by about 10% of offenders out there. It's uh, the individuals we refer to as prolific offenders. So hmm. I, I do think that's going to get worse because we're not holding those persons in custody the way we did even up to a couple of years ago. And there's uh, been a push in perspective that a lot of these things stem from uh, mental health issues and drug addiction, and we need to treat that. Okay, but I've seen them stream now out of the criminal justice system, but I haven't seen that solution implemented Mm -hmm. yet. Whereas I would have liked to have seen on a personal level that treatment and those services and supports in place prior to us just completely removing them or largely removing them from a custodial setting. So how, uh, and I don't hope, I hope you can give an answer of some kind. There are people who are beginning to say that, you know what, we need to maybe start giving people an option between either being held in custody uh, or they have to go to a treatment center um, or to a treatment village or something, some something that takes them out of, you know, especially downtown and puts them in a place where they can maybe begin to say, hey, wait a minute, is this really where I want my life to go? Um, is that something that maybe we need, we need to consider so that people have an option? Yeah, I don't disagree with those types of uh, uh, strategies as long as there's some sort of markers for success. So if it's jail or treatment, it's like I go to treatment and then a week later, yeah, I don't know, I'm not re- going to really comply with the treatment anymore, so now you're back out on the street. I don't think that works. I think uh, perhaps then you would go the jail route. But yeah. I, I think there needs to be some sort of accountability. But I, I do think that just simply warehousing people in jail isn't a long-term this, solution. Yeah. Um, but just not putting them in jail isn't a long-term solution either. No, and it, it seems to be. I mean, that's what we've got here in, in, in town is that it's just getting worse, right? And, and it's not getting better. Yeah. So what about hopeful glimmers? Like, where do you see... <laughs> do you see any, any hopeful signs? Uh, yeah, I, I, I do. <laughs> um, you know what? There's a lot of talk. Uh, the provincial government has acknowledged a lot of these issues. I think uh, the community is talking about a lot of these issues that they didn't three or four years ago. Uh, and really, it's going to take a, a, a massive social and political um, will to make significant systemic changes uh, from what we've been doing for the last hundred years. So, uh I don't think it's going to happen overnight, but I think we're at least having those conversations. So hopefully they end up going in the right direction. Okay. So in sort of, in terms of hopeful glimmers, um, 
where do you see local community organizations? Like, like one, one problem that we've had is, is civic organizations are like, and what, what I mean by that is just like the, the local nonprofits, the, the community groups, the, the festival groups, the arts groups, um, and like to me, I, I think that that's where we we create society, right? Where we create a feeling of belonging and 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 community, which are things that I mean, that's part of the prevention part, right? Um, do you see any movement there, like and and the awareness too, and and certainly even like let's let's say the downtown organizations that are working. Um, uh, that are feeding the homeless and working with the addicted. Do you see any changes there that, that maybe in mindset, just in terms of, um, that, that we're getting closer to a point where, okay, you know, we actually have to get together and decide together to begin solving this problem. Yeah. I think a lot of those groups are, are talking about those things. Uh, and I think we need to be a little more solution oriented. So right now I think everybody is okay with these individuals. We need to help them, but all we're doing is kind of helping them be comfortable in the current situation. And we're not assisting them in evolving from that to a a better existence and a a better life. Uh, And I think like you you hit the nail on the head community is, is absolutely the key. That is the fabric and that is the best crime deterrent that, that exists out there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know what, the, the two years of COVID really destroyed a lot of the social oh. fabric and I, I think set us back significantly. So, uh, I'm hopeful over the next few years we can kind of get those social connections and, uh, interactions back on track. Yeah. And that's something I, like, I agree. And I, and I, and I've been personally just a little bit surprised. I mean, you know, you read all this stuff about, you know, the, like what, like these people asking, especially me, I mean, this is where I was like, oh my goodness, what is going to happen to everything? Like what is going to happen to our sense of community? Um, you know, because of the lockdowns, uh, and the restrictions. And so you've seen that as well. And just, and so hopefully, like you said, that, uh, this is, uh, getting us, hopefully we'll climb out of that. So any parting words before we are done for the day? Uh, no, you know what? I just I appreciate the opportunity to come chat. I quite enjoyed it. And uh, for kind of any listeners out there, uh, I would like to just circle back to kind of your very first point that, you know what, if we don't know that crime is happening in your community, we can't uh, come deal with it and we can't uh, dedicate resources to do it. So please report those things to us, even if it seems small. And uh, please use our online uh, reporting tool uh, at your convenience for minor minor offenses so we're aware of the trends and we can deal with that. All right. Well, thank you very much, Superintendent Sean Wright. And uh, we will be back with After 9 tomorrow. Thank you very much for listening. After 9 is a weekday presentation of CFISFM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis-Holt, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Theme music is by The Ebbs. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. You're listening to CFISFM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 on the FM dial. CFISFM is owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society.